Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about stress and the adrenal glands. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen in to our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice. So don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. All right, what are we going to talk about this week? The adrenals. Really? Yeah. You sure? I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's what I prepared for. All right. <laughs> that would be awfully cruel if I had a diff- different set of questions here, wouldn't it? Um, stop the doc. Okay, so, well, then let's get into the adrenals. Now, uh, the adrenals are also called the suprarenals, suprarenals. And so that kind of gives people an idea of where they might be, but why don't you go over where they're located and the hormones that they secrete? All right, well, you alluded to them being called the suprarenal glands, and the reason for that is because they're situated on top of the kidneys, uh, the prefix supra means on top and renal means kidney. So they're, they sit right on top of the kidneys. And they have two parts to them, the cortex and medulla, and each secretes specific hormones. Um, I went over these in our previous podcast, but I'm going to add a few more hormones to the list that I didn't include in that episode. Okay. All right. Well, let's start with the medulla, which is the inner part of the adrenals. It produces what are called catecholamines, which are hormones that are derived from the amino acid tyrosine. The primary medulla hormones are the stress hormones epinephrine, also known as adrenaline, and norepinephrine. And the other catecholamine hormone that the adrenal medulla produces in small amounts is dopamine. Mm. So what's interesting about these three is that they're not only classified as hormones, but also neurotransmitters, which are chemical messengers that that work between nerve cells and are produced in the brain. Mm -hmm. Epinephrine and norepinephrine are primarily produced by the adrenal medulla as stress hormones, but also to a lesser extent in the brain as neurotransmitters. Whereas the opposite is true of dopamine, which is primarily produced in the brain as a neurotransmitter, uh, but also in small amounts in the adrenals as a hormone precursor to norepinephrine. Okay, well, let's move on now to the adrenal cortex, which is the outer part of the adrenals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it produces three categories of hormones, which are all classified as steroid hormones, and these are all made from cholesterol. Okay. So the first category is called glucocorticoids, and the main one is cortisol. And then there's another one I'm including this time called 
corticosterone. And that plays a minor role in the human body, but it's actually the primary adrenal corticosteroid in laboratory rats. So when they do laboratory rat testing to try to translate it to humans, when they test rats, this is actually the main glucocorticoid as opposed to cortisol. Okay. Next up is what are called mineral corticoids, and the primary one from these is aldosterone, and I'll go into a little bit more detail on this in a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. And then finally, the final categories is sex hormones or sex steroids. And the big three are estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. But there's two new ones I'm going to include in this podcast that I haven't talked about previously in our past one on hormones. So the first one is called DHEA. It's also known as androstenolone. Uh, This is produced by the adrenals as well as the gonads and brain and is primarily converted into estrogen and testosterone. Now, you've probably heard of DHEA supplements, Mm -hmm. and they've been touted for anti-aging, weight loss, osteoporosis, and depression. But there are also a ton of side effects and numerous harmful drug interactions, which make it something that you should really research thoroughly and be cautious of before supplementing with it. Okay. And then finally, there's androstenedione. This gained notoriety in the summer of 1998 when a bottle of this was noticed in the locker of Mark McGuire, the baseball player who broke the all-time home run record that year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, remember he admitted to using this supplement, which is also known as andro. So, you know, it wasn't banned yet at that time in baseball, but it was illegal to use in several other sports at the time, including the Olympics. Hmm. But it was later banned by baseball in 2004 after the Senate passed the Anabolic Steroid Control Act, and the FDA banned the sale of it, citing that it posed significant health risks commonly associated with steroids. Wow. All right. So that goes over the various different hormones that are produced. So what do the adrenal glands have to do with the fight or flight response? Well, first of all, the fight or flight response is the physical reaction of the body to a very stressful or dangerous situation. And the reason it's called fight or flight is because it's a survival mechanism that allows people to react quickly to potentially life-threatening situations by either fighting the threat off or by fleeing to safety. Right. Yeah. And so what happens in the body is the hypothalamus gland in the brain triggers the sympathetic nervous system, which provides the body with a burst of energy so that it can handle the perceived dangers. Mm -hmm. The sympathetic nervous system works like a gas pedal in a car, giving a quick energy boost. And its counterpart, the parasympathetic nervous system, acts like a brake since it promotes the rest and digest response that calms the body down after the danger has passed. Okay. Now, getting back to the fight or flight response, um, the signals sent through the sympathetic nervous system to the adrenals trigger the release of the hormone adrenaline into the bloodstream, which causes a number of reactions in the body. So I thought I'd go over these. Okay. So that includes um, increased heart rate, more blood being pumped to the muscles, heart, and other vital organs, increased blood pressure, increased uh, breathing rate widening of the lung airways so that more oxygen can be consumed with each breath, also increased oxygen to the brain for increased alertness, the sharpening of other senses, including sight and hearing, 
and the release of blood sugar and fat from temporary sites in the body like the liver and muscles so that these flood the bloodstream supplying energy to all parts of the body. Now, what's interesting about this response is that if the stress continues on and the initial surge of adrenaline has been used up, the hypothalamus will trigger the second component of the stress response system called the HPA axis, which stands for the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. And this is set up so that the body can continue to keep the gas pedal of the sympathetic nervous system pressed down longer. Mm. Yeah, as long as a threat is continued to be perceived, the hypothalamus will release a hormone which will then travel to the pituitary gland and trigger the release of its hormone that we covered in the previous podcast, ACTH, or adrenal corticotropic hormone, mm -hmm. which, as you can guess, then travels to the adrenals to trigger the, you know, its other stress hormone, cortisol, which allows the body to continue to stay revved up and on high alert. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when the danger's finally passed, then the cortisol levels will fall and the parasympathetic nervous system applies the brake to slow the stress response down altogether. Ah, it's wow. Neat, uh, yeah, it's a neat system. It is. Checks and balances like Congress, yeah. if only. All right, so now you mentioned cortisol being released by the cortex. Interestingly enough, when you were first talking about there's the cortex and the medulla, I was thinking, well, that sounds like the brain. And then you started describing how certain chemicals released in the brain are also released in the adrenals or from the adrenals only for opposite reasons mm -hmm. or their opposite types. So that was interesting. All right. So now that you've gone over the different chemicals and the hormones that are released, uh, one of them being adrenaline, also known as epinephrine, besides the fight or flight mechanism we were just talking about, what else is it used for in the normal functioning of the body? Well, yeah, I mean, in addition to fight or flight, as well as handling acute stress, um, it also is useful for blood pressure increase, especially when you're going from a lying down to a standing position. Right. You mentioned that, I think it was in the last episode. Mm -hmm. um, it can increase your heart rate, enlarge the pupil of the eye, and it can also increase your strength and performance. Now, one of the problems with adrenaline, however, is that it can be released when the body is under stress, but not in any real danger. And this can result in dizziness, lightheadedness, and vision changes. In addition, since it also causes the body to release glucose or blood sugar for extra energy, if you aren't in danger and don't need that extra energy, then you can end up feeling restless and irritable. And excessively high levels of adrenaline due to stress with no danger can also cause heart damage, insomnia, and a jittery and nervous feeling. Mm -hmm. Okay. None of that's good. No. Now, we also talked about cortisol when we were talking about the fight or flight mechanism. So what are the things that cortisol is used for by the body when it isn't in that type of a dangerous situation? Well, cortisol is basically the body's main stress hormone, and it's used to combat chronic stress as opposed to adrenaline, which handles acute or immediate stress. Okay. I, I mean, it affects many functions in the body, and since, you know, the reason is most body cells have cortisol receptors, which are like parts of the cell where it literally plugs in, like a plug into the wall. Mm -hmm. uh, it specifically helps to control blood sugar levels. It regulates metabolism, 
It reduces inflammation, affects salt and water balance, helps control blood pressure, and it even helps in the development of the fetus. Hmm. But the problem with cortisol, which we learned in the podcast on the seven principles of fat burning, is that too much of it can cause you to put on fat weight in and around the abdomen. And too much cortisol can also lead to high blood pressure, osteoporosis, bruising and purple stretch marks, muscle weakness, mood swings, and increased thirst and frequency of urination. And too much cortisol over a prolonged period of time can lead to a condition which we'll cover in a little bit called Cushing syndrome. Okay. Not named after Peter Cushing, the actor in the horror movies. No, not at all. Okay, good. Now, another hormone that you have mentioned being produced by the adrenal glands is aldosterone. Now, why is aldosterone important in the function of the body? Well, again, aldosterone is a mineral corticoid hormone produced by the adrenal cortex. A mineral corticoid is a hormone that regulates minerals like sodium, potassium, and hydrogen to maintain water balance in and around the cells of the body. Aldosterone is important because it's the primary mineral corticoid and the body's principal regulator of salt and water balance. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's super important. And it also plays a minor role in the metabolism of fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. Okay. So that is very important. Now, what is adrenal insufficiency? We've heard about that before. I don't know if you've brought it up, but that is something that people need to be aware of can occur. So what is it and what symptoms does it cause? Okay, well, adrenal insufficiency is also known as Addison's disease, mm. which is where the adrenals don't make enough of the stress hormone cortisol and sometimes too little aldosterone too. So you know, when the body's under stress, for example, lack of sleep or fighting an infection, then not producing enough cortisol can result in various symptoms. And they include um, extreme fatigue, nausea, diarrhea, or vomiting, darkening of the skin, weight loss and decreased appetite, low blood pressure and possible fainting, salt cravings, and low blood sugar. Now, when signs and symptoms of this disorder appear suddenly, it can result in what's called an Addisonian crisis or acute adrenal failure, which can lead to life-threatening shock. So there's common symptoms of this, and it's important to know just in case this is something you come across. So they would include uh, severe weakness, confusion, pain in your lower back or legs, severe abdominal pain, vomiting, and diarrhea leading to dehydration, and reduced consciousness or delirium. In addition, you can measure a person's blood pressure. It'll, it'll be low, and if you're able to, you know, let's say they go to the hospital and they get some blood work done, they'll have high potassium and low sodium levels. Mm. Now, there's also what's called secondary adrenal insufficiency, which is actually a lot more common than Addison's disease. Okay. And, you know, this is due to a problem with the pituitary gland in which it fails to produce enough ACTH. And since ACTH is needed to stimulate the adrenals to produce cortisol, a deficiency of this hormone leads to a deficiency of cortisol and you end up with the same symptoms as Addison's disease. So how would, how would somebody be able to tell 
whether the person's got primary or secondary. Is it just lab tests that they would be using or what would they? Yeah, yeah pretty much. You can measure ACTH. You can measure cortisol. I mean, cortisol is going to be low either way, but if you want to determine if it's primary or secondary, you would also test for ACTH. And um, if that's low, then you'll know it's secondary. Yeah. And I think that would be important to do, obviously, because you don't want to be treating the wrong thing. Absolutely. All right. So that's adrenal insufficiency. There's also something called adrenal exhaustion. So what causes that and how does it show up? All right. First of all, adrenal exhaustion is also more commonly known as adrenal fatigue. Mm. And the term adrenal fatigue was first named in 1998 by James Wilson, PhD, who's a naturopath and expert in alternative medicine. And he described it as a group of related signs and symptoms that results when the adrenal glands function below the necessary level. He explains that it's usually associated with intense stress and often follows chronic infections like bronchitis, the flu, or pneumonia. Hmm. Now, in my practice, and also from my own personal experience, I've especially seen it result from the Epstein-Barr virus, which not only causes mono, but also the dreaded chronic fatigue syndrome, both of which I've had and overcome. Okay. Now, Wilson also says that people with adrenal fatigue may not have any physical signs of illness, but still may feel tired, gray, and have fatigue that doesn't get better with sleep. They also tend to crave salty snacks. Hmm. Now, the theory is that due to long-term stress, your adrenals burn out from the prolonged production of cortisol. But so-called medical experts, including the Endocrine Society, which is the world's largest organization of endocrinologists, believe that adrenal fatigue is not a real disease and that there's no science to back it up. They say the symptoms are so general that they can apply to many other diseases or conditions like depression, sleep apnea, uh, fibromyalgia, hypothyroidism, or just from everyday life. Well, I just have to say that I have yet to come across a competent endocrinologist in my 20 years of, 29 years of practice and this viewpoint doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. I mean, this one is right up there with medical doctors refusing to recognize leaky gut syndrome as a valid condition, along with the systemic uh, candida or systemic yeast overgrowth diagnosis in the body, which means not just in the intestines or vagina, but throughout the body. And another condition that endocrinologists miss on is hypothyroidism, which we'll cover in more detail in our next podcast. Right. Uh, hypothyroidism is normally diagnosed through lab tests checking the thyroid hormones and the pituitary hormone that stimulates them, TSH. Mm -hmm. However, there is a condition called thyroid resistance where the individual's thyroid and pituitary are working fine and their hormone blood tests are in the normal range. But they have all the symptoms of full-blown hypothyroidism because the hormones aren't getting into the cells where they're needed. Mm. And this is usually caused by chronic stress and high cortisol levels. Wow. Yeah. And the problem is that there is no lab test that can check the function of the cell receptors where the hormones attach. Mm. So it's missed. But when we cover the thyroid and hypothyroidism, you know, next uh, podcast, I'm going to share two outstanding simple home tests that you can perform to check thyroid function that can show if they're underperforming 
whether blood tests are normal or not. That's great. All right. So now what other adrenal conditions could a person experience besides adrenal fatigue, adrenal exhaustion being the same thing and adrenal insufficiency? Okay. Well, you know, we've mainly just covered underactive adrenal conditions. So let's now look at the most notorious overactive adrenal disorder, and that is Cushing syndrome. Ah. So this is a disorder that occurs when the body is exposed to too much cortisol. And what's really interesting about this is that the most common cause is due to taking large amounts of cortisone-based steroid medications to treat conditions like asthma, eczema, or rheumatoid arthritis. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's actually very rare for it to be due to the body producing too much cortisol, but it can occur due to uh, a pituitary tumor causing too much ACTH production, uh-huh. overactivity of the adrenals causing too much cortisol production. Uh-huh or from non-pituitary tumors such as lung cancer tumors, which can metastasize or spread and cause too much ACTH production. Ah. And, you know, there are many signs and symptoms associated with Cushing syndrome, but the most common are central obesity, but the person has thin arms and legs, Mm -hmm. a round moon-like face, fat deposited above the collarbone and behind the neck, as well as between the shoulders and upper back, which is also known as a buffalo hump. And that's similar to a dowager's hump, which is due to poor posture or osteoporosis. Hmm. Uh, You'll see pink or purple stretch marks on the skin, especially on the breasts, arms, abdomen, and thighs, and weak muscles. Now, treatment for Cushing's depends on the cause. If it's due to a pituitary or adrenal tumor, then surgical removal is typically done. And if it's cancerous, then possibly also chemotherapy and radiation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's also uh, cortisol inhibiting drugs that can be tried. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if it's due to the most common cause, which is long-term excessive cortisone-based drug usage, then an individual can lower their dosage with the help of their medical doctor to the lowest dose needed to control the condition that they're treating. Okay. All right. So that's another one people need to be aware of, or, well, I guess that their doctors need to be aware of, but they need to be aware that it can exist. Now, what can a person do to support their adrenal glands rather than just waiting and seeing if something is going wrong with them? Is there some way that they can do something as they go along to support the adrenal glands to keep them healthy? Well, let's start with nutrition. And my favorite supplements are organic glandulars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have two go-to supplements, uh, both made by NutriWest. One is for stressed or overactive adrenals, and the other is for fatigued or underactive adrenals. The first one is called DSF formula, which stands for de-stress formula. And it's excellent for de-stressing not only the adrenals, but also the entire body because its ingredients not only support the adrenals, but also all of the other primary parts of the body hit by stress, including the stomach, spleen, thymus gland, and parotid gland. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, this formula was put together partly from the research of Dr. Hans Selye, who wrote a book in 1956 that's considered the Bible on stress called The Stress of Life. Yep. Remember that? We, we were, that was required reading at Logan. Hans Selye. Yes. I remember that very well. Yep. He was in the first Die Hard movie too, wasn't he? No, <laughs> it was Hans something else, but Hans Gruber. Yeah. 
Then there's uh, core level adrenal, which is definitely one of my top 10 all-time supplements, not only because I've helped hundreds of patients overcome adrenal fatigue using it, but also it's the main supplement that got me over chronic fatigue syndrome way back when I was first interning after graduating from chiropractic college. Mm -hmm. You see, I got the Epstein-Barr virus and mono my senior year in college, and between that and the stress of finishing school, you know, taking exams and worrying about where I was going to practice... I completely blew out my adrenals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tried all kinds of remedies for over eight months with little success since I was constantly tired and needing naps during the day despite getting plenty of sleep at night. Uh, when I met Dr. Charles Dugan, a holistic chiropractor in Fort Myers, and interned with him for a short time right after graduating, he checked me and found my adrenals were shot and put me on core level adrenal, which flipped the switch you know, pretty quickly. And within a couple of weeks, I was back to my normal energetic self again. And as you recall, after passing my board exam and getting my license later that year, I shared his office on his off days, starting my private practice and did so in that location for a little over two years. Yeah. He's a great doctor. He is. Okay. Next up uh, that I recommend for adrenal support is adaptogens. This is another class of nutrients that I would like to tout for adrenal conditions and You know, I touched on these in our previous podcast on hormones. You know, what's really neat about these is that they help restore balance to the adrenals, whether they're underactive or overactive. And again, they're super herbs and mushrooms that have been used for centuries in Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine, and they include uh, ginseng, holy basil, ashwagandha, astragalus root, licorice root, rhodiola, and cordyceps mushrooms. Now, if you suspect or have been diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus, then a killer remedy for this is the essential amino acid L-lysine. Why? Well, Epstein-Barr virus is part of the herpes family of viruses, which include simplex 1, simplex 2, chickenpox, shingles, and human cytomegalovirus. Uh You know, there's actually eight herpes viruses that can infect humans. But one thing they all have in common is that studies show that taking L-lysine can prevent outbreaks of them. Mm-hmm. And I found that taking 1,000 milligrams daily of L-lysine is great for prevention. And if you have an outbreak of any of the herpes viruses, including Epstein-Barr virus, then the therapeutic dose is 1,000 milligrams five times a day. Wow. Yeah. How long does it take for that therapeutic dosage to knock things out? Pretty quickly. I mean, I've had some, you know, a virus is something that just stays stored in in your cells for the rest of your life and it can manifest at any time. That's Mm -hmm. why people like, you know, when they get chicken pox when they're young, it stays with them and then it turns into shingles when they're older and so forth. And people get cold sores all the time. So it it actually works really fast. I've I've had uh, Epstein-Barr flare-ups and usually within a few days, I, I get my pep back pretty quickly. That's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, another thing is, um, you know, not only is diet important as we learned in the seven principles of fat burning when your adrenals are down or stressed, but also doing the correct exercise and avoiding the wrong type of exercise. So remember, if you have an adrenal body type, the ideal type of exercise is aerobic, which is a low intensity, low pulse rate endurance exercise that includes walking, uh, mild treadmill activity, biking, light jogging, light swimming, uh, light 
cross-country skiing and other activities in which your heart rate is maintained in the 127 to 130 beats per minute range. Okay. Uh, this type of exercise puts the least amount of stress on the body, plus it won't take nearly as long to recover, and it's best to do it every other day in the beginning and then eventually daily. And then next up, I wanted to cover sleep. Mm -hmm. So not only is the amount of sleep important for your adrenals and overall health, but also sleep quality, which includes the amount of time you get into the deeper sleep cycles. Lack of sleep in my senior year in college from pulling all-nighters, studying, and going out with friends on weekends definitely contributed to me developing chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, yeah. Now, if you want to track your own sleep patterns, there's outstanding accurate technology that you can use, including the Fitbit wristband, mm -hmm. uh, phone apps, including the Sleep Cycle app, and my favorite, which I just got last week, mm -hmm. and that is the Aura Ring. You know, I ordered it a few weeks ago and I fully expected it to take six to eight weeks since that's how long it's been taking to produce and ship since it comes from Finland, but I got it in two weeks. Wow. Uh-huh. Last year, it became very popular because Prince Harry was spotted wearing one and the media found out. So evidently, they must have expanded their company and that they can now produce them much faster. That's great. So I want to talk about this. this. This cool little device is actually a ring you wear on your finger that measures all kinds of neat things, and it comes with an app for your smartphone or your computer. Hmm. It measures your body temperature, your respiratory rate, how many calories you burn during the day, approximately how many steps you took, and what's called heart rate variability, which is the time interval between heartbeats. And it's a good indicator of your overall health status since it shows how your body recovers from exercise, stress, and fatigue. Mm -hmm. Now, the sleep technology for this device is also phenomenal since it measures, get this, total sleep, sleep efficiency, REM sleep, deep sleep, and latency, which is the time it takes to fall asleep. Last night was definitely one of my best nights sleeping since I got the ring because I got my air conditioning ducts replaced, which improved the airflow and temperature of my house and especially my bedroom, which has a metal roof and gets very hot, especially during the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, my bedroom was noticeably cooler last night, even though the thermostat was the same setting as always, 72 degrees. Now, I don't think it was a coincidence that my resting heart rate was lower than previous nights. Uh, it only took me five minutes to fall asleep, and my percentage of REM and deep sleep were also higher than previous nights. That's great. Yeah. And another really cool thing that the Aura Ring can do is compute what's called your readiness score. This tells you how ready you are for the day ahead and if you should focus on rest and recovery if your score is too low. It's based on information from your sleep the night before. Uh, your activity the day before, and other measurements that can help you make decisions about your activity level during the upcoming day. I mean, it's especially a really good indicator of what type of exercise your body can handle. So, for example, my readiness score today was 86, which is really good. So I was able to do an intense, full personal training workout at the gym this evening after work. Mm. For those of you interested, you can find out more about this at AuraRing.com. It's O-U-R-A-R-I-N-G.com. 
And we can leave a link for the Aura ring in our podcast notes. Good idea. Yeah. And by the way, these retail for $299, but there are several websites that review it and give $50 discount coupons. Uh, so I found them when I was researching it and used one of these, and I ended up paying $249 instead of $299 for mine. That's great. Mm-hmm. Good. And if people want to listen to the episode we did on sleep, that's episode number 54. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's very good information. I don't know if I'm going to ask for one of those for my birthday, but I'll give it some thought. Is there anything else you'd like to say on this topic before we end tonight? Yes. Um, I just mentioned that I did a personal training session this evening, and I wanted to promote the new gym here in Clearwater that I go to, which is literally right down the street from my office, located at 1350 Cleveland Street, and it's called Bulletproof Athletics. It's not a huge uh, change in like LA Fitness or Planet Fitness or Orange Theory. It's a privately run gym with highly competent trainers that put you on tailor-made programs based on your goals and individual measurables that include strength and flexibility. Um, I found it to be a fun, structured atmosphere with a wide range of equipment, including free weights, machines, and sleds. And they train people of all ages and sizes, uh, athletes and non-athletes alike. They're open... Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. and 3 to 8 p.m. And they can be reached at 305-975-3696. And I've already checked with the main trainer and owner, Adon Lopez, and he would love to be on as a guest on an upcoming podcast on exercise. Okay. We can do that. And where are they specifically located? Because they're real close to you, but are they on the other side of the street? They're on the other side of the street as you head towards Gulf to Bay, and they're literally just right before that light where it branches off uh, to the right to become Gulf to Bay or goes straight and stays on its Cleveland Street. So they're just past the tattoo parlor. Yeah, they're close to that. Okay, because of course everybody knows where that is. Very good. Well, thanks again for a very informative episode. And next week, we, like you said, we're going to move on to the next set of glands, which is the thyroid gland and the parathyroid glands. So we're going to go over all of that. And then we'll move on to the next one after that, which I would know if I looked at the list, but it's not that important. All right. Thanks, Steve. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. Bye.